Hello, and welcome back. Congratulations, we are now in part two, test two, of History 101. This is Dr. Christopher Gennari, and we are now into ancient Greece. In fact, part two is going to seem more familiar to you, because we're going to do major civilizations that you know, India, China, Rome, Greece. And so, we start with Greece. We start with geography. The geography of Greece is made up of two major components. The first is the mountains. So far, we've talked about river valleys. We've talked about peoples who live in the nearness of a giant river, the Nile, the Tigris, the Euphrates. That's not the Greeks. The Greeks live in mountain valleys. Greece is incredibly mountainous. And so what this led to was poverty. 90% of the land is useless for farming. So you're talking about very small farms and you talk about not a lot of people could have large farms and be very rich. And the, the, land, the, land, the land itself left the Greeks poor. So one effect of that is the isolation of communities. Each separate village, town, later city, in a mountain valley was isolated from the ones around it. When the winter comes, everything gets snowed in, you couldn't get over those mountain passes. And so what you get is the concept of autonomia, self-rule, where we get autonomy. The idea that you made your own rules as a community, that they weren't imposed from the outside. We also get the creation of the polis, P-O-L-I-S, which means city. But it means like nation state. It's where we get polity from, politics. It's, it's the form of identity. You don't get Greeks. You have people who speak Greek. You have people who worship the Greek gods. But they think of themselves as Athenian, Spartan, Theban, Corinth. They don't think of themselves as Greek. Now, they think of themselves as Greek as opposed to, say, the Persians as opposed to an outsider, but they don't see many connections to other Greeks either. The polis became their identity. I am an Athenian first, a Greek second. And so what the polis creates is these cities. And so we get our first urban people. Now, I know we had Babylon as a big city, but that big city was surrounded by a rural people. People lived in the countryside. The Greeks are going to prefer cities. To live in the city and then go out to the fields. They're an urban population. And what that get, gets us is an urban civilization and trade. Because no city is independent they are constantly in need of stuff. They're not self-sufficient. And so they have to trade. And that trade is going to bring connections. And that those connections are going to bring civilization. The second component is the sea. The connection to the Mediterranean Sea. 
It surrounded Greece as a peninsula. And so that connection allows connections to other Greek cities. It is actually easier to connect to other Greek cities by water than over land. There's also the cities in Magna Gracia, which is southern Italy, and Sicily. There's the, the Greek cities of the Black Sea. All of this allows for colonization. The Greeks don't stay in Greece. Unlike Egyptians, who more or less stay in Egypt, the Greeks go everywhere. They'll be in Spain. They'll be in southern France. If there's water, they will go there. And so the Greek culture spreads. Why do they colonize? Because they have, don't have enough food in Greece. Remember, 90% of the land is useless. So what do they do? They go and find new places. The Black Sea. The Ukraine. Sicily. Flatter territory where you can have bigger farms. Larger cities. And so the culture spreads in this equals success. The Greeks spread and that equals success. The sea also allows connection to older civilizations. They were able to connect to the Persians, to the Phoenicians, to the Egyptians by sea, and that brought in trade and knowledge. Egyptian gods, Lydian coins. Trade was very important to, the, to Greek success. And knowledge, a lot of the knowledge comes from older civilizations. The Greeks tell you this. The Greeks flat out say it. You know, Plato, I believe, is, is the one who says the Greeks never invented anything, but they improved on everything. Well, if they didn't invent it, where did they get it from? Well, they got it from Egypt, Persia, the Middle East, Phoenicia, um, Africa, by way of Egypt. Uh, they got these ideas from other peoples. They are also able to push out in their colonies weaker barbarian peoples in marginal areas, southern Italy, Sicily, Spain, the Black Sea, to create colonization. While the Greeks are still a poor people compared to Egypt, compared to Babylon or Persia at this point, they are still more powerful, more colonial than many of the peoples they are going to meet on the islands and the shores of the Mediterranean. And so they're able to push out those weaker barbarians. Now, when they run into Gauls, that's going to terrify them. So they are able to move into these marginal areas, create new cities. On the outskirts of those cities, they create farms. Those farms create food, which they then sell back to Greece to make money. And so you have these connections between the colonies and the cities of Greece, that, that the mother cities in Greece that gave birth to them. So that brings us to war. Well, we have a poor people in a mountainous country. So can they use chariots? No. Chariots require flat land and require wealth. They're super weapons. What about mercenaries? We'll pay professionals. No, we won't do that either. It's too much money. What about a professional army like the Assyrians have? Again, no, it's too much money. So what they come up with is the phalanx. Men standing shoulder to shoulder forming a box. Why? Because we have to use farmers. 
and farmers don't fight, remember? So if farmers don't fight, but they now have to fight, what's the problem? Well, the problem is, is they're going to run away. If you are on a battlefield holding a stick, facing men who want to kill you, you say, no, no, I'm out of here and leave. And so the Greek phalanx is built to keep you from running away. It is a square. It is a box of men standing shoulder to shoulder and front to back. There is nowhere to turn. You can't physically turn. You cannot run away. You cannot drop your weapons. There is, you can't do any of that. It's, you are physically too close to the people next to you, in front of you, and behind you. You are uncomfortably close. Two, they're going to wear bronze armor. Why? Well, because you still want protection if you are going to fight in this thing. And you don't want to get hit by a weapon and be all exposed, and so Greeks are going to wear bronze armor. So that tells you right away that only the better-off people in any Greek city can be in the phalanx. You had to be able to afford the bronze armor. Not everyone could. If you couldn't afford the bronze armor, you can't be in the phalanx. They use a shield, and they use a spear. And they use the spear because they're in a box. There is no other weapon you can use. You can't swing a sword. You'll hit your the man to your left or to your right. So you need to have a spear, which you don't really move. You just hold. The second thing about the spear is it's ten about 10 feet long. I think it's... Technically, it's for a long time, eight feet long, eight to ten feet long. And what that did was was keep your enemy away from you. You don't want the enemy near you. Like go into your attic when you have like a rabid raccoon or angry squirrels in there. I am going to bet you are not going to wrestle that rabid raccoon. You're going to get the longest piece of wood the longest stick you can get and poke it till it goes away. Well, that's effectively the spear. It was the only weapon you could really use and be in a box. Second, it had the advantage of keeping the enemy away from you. Again, farmers don't fight. They don't want to be close to a guy who wants to kill them. That's scary. Now, the shield overlaps the man next to you. Why? Well, because a typical Greek battle is going to last about half an hour. So they can't hold it. It's an, it's an inch thick of oak wood. It's about 20 pounds. Very good to protect you. It's like a butcher's block. Try, you know, take a knife and stab a butcher's block and see how far it gets you. The thing, though, is, is that makes it heavy. It's too heavy to hold in your hand because that is all that weight is on your wrist. And if you go to the gym and you pick up a dumbbell, about 20 pound dumbbell, and you hold it out, I'll give you 30, 45 seconds before it starts to dip. So what the and the Greek battles last about half an hour. So that's a lot of being exposed. So what they did was move the straps. They moved the straps to the left. So instead of holding the this, this shield, you put your arm through it and it rested on your shoulder. Now, 20 pounds on your shoulder, you can carry all day. Your shoulder, you know, between your shoulder and your back, you can carry that for plenty of time. Half an hour is easy. 
But what that did was move the protective part of the spear to the left. So you were literally protecting the man next to you. Your shield covered half the right side, half of the man next to you. And so a hoplite, H-O-P-L-I-T-E, hoplite, makes no sense as a warrior. He is not a warrior. He is a soldier. Even the Spartans are not warriors. They are soldiers because they are completely useless on their own. This only works in the box. But what it meant was you were protected. New people were in the middle of that box because they had never been in battle before. So to make sure they can't run away, you put them in the middle. The oldest veterans, the guys who knew the best, were in the back because it was easiest for them to run away. So you wanted the guys who were the most experienced to be in the back. The other thing is they're going to push, put their shields in the back of the men in front of them and literally push the phalanx forward. The guys in the front want to be in the front. They're young men, but not the youngest men. They're men in probably their mid-20s to early 30s. Why? Because these are guys who have been in the middle and realized there's no glory in the middle. All of the glory is in the front. Because what happens to the Greeks? After you win a battle, you go and you drink, and you brag, and you tell women about how awesome you were in the battle. Well, if you're in the middle, you can't do that. So you have to be at the front. That's where you do the leadership. That's where you do the fighting. That's where you, you suffer your wounds that you can then brag about later. Now, why don't the old dudes, the guys in their mid-30s and older, want to be in the front? Well, because they don't need to impress women anymore. They're married. They have kids. They've done it. They've been there. And so when old guys retire or die in the back and space opens up, guys in the front move to the back. And, guy, and as they move to the back, guys in the middle move to the front. And there's this natural evolution, this natural movement of peoples. You're 16, 17, you go into the middle. By the time you're 22, you're in the front. From 22 to 25 or so, 27, you fight in the front, and then, boom, space opens up, and you move to the back. You fight there another 5 to 10 years, and then... Old age sets in, your knees start to hurt, and you say, all right, I've, I've been fighting for 30 years. It's time to retire. And so you retire. And a young man, a middle-aged man in the front takes your spot. And so there's this natural evolution to the phalanx. The other thing they do is put people next to each other who care about each other. Brothers, fathers and sons, cousins, people who care about each other because, again, you won't run. Now, the Spartans and the Thebans will realize who really doesn't run? Homosexual lovers, gay pairs. You put gay men next to each other and they are going to fight to the death. That's the Theban sacred band. That's essentially every Spartan. Every Spartan in the Lycurgan system. Lycurgus is the Spartan who created the barrack system. 
every Spartan basically as a young man had um, homosexual, at least homoerotic relationships with the men of his line, with his bunkmates, with the men who he'd been standing with. Now, he'll marry a woman, the sacred band, you'll marry a woman to have kids. But even then, after you married a woman, the person you loved, and I mean in your, in your mind, because they didn't say it was in their heart, and the person you loved in Greece was your best mate, was your best man, was your homeboy. And that made the Spartans and the Thebans some of the toughest soldiers around. Spartans don't run. The Theban sacred band didn't run. It fought to the last man. Alexander had to kill every last man when he went to sack and destroy Thebes when Thebes revolted against him. And he did not like having to do that because he wished he could keep those men on his side. It was a waste to kill those men. That's how good they were. And so homosexuality had a place in the military world of the, of the Greeks because it kept people from running. And as long as that phalanx doesn't run... You'll survive. You'll win. In fact, the battle is a car crash. It's two phalanxes, like you see in the picture, who smash into each other at a high, at a, at a running, at a run, at a gallop. They they kind of march at each other. They run at each other. Uh, the last uh, couple of yards, like a little dozen yards, and they smash into each other. So then there's all this pushing. As they push into each other, they become intermeshed. And what happens is you lose the guy who's next to you. You're fighting hand to hand. You're, you're trying to stab a guy. Your, your spears have all smashed. So you have this little dagger, this little tiny thing. It's not like the 300 where they have these giant swords. There's no room for that. Everyone's intermeshed. And what happens is one side panics. They, 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 the men can't find their friends. They are, they're surrounded by enemies. And what they do is just, they freak out and they run away. And the, Phalanx just collapse. Now, for the most part, you don't pursue. You don't do what the Assyrians did. You don't obliterate an army. You let them surrender. You, they don't surrender. They run away. And the reason why is you're wearing 50 pounds of bronze armor and a 20-pound shield and a 10-pound spear. You, you, you can't run after these guys. So what happens is... You erect a trophy, and trophy means turning place. You erect a trophy, and you hang out there. And you wait. You wait for the ambassadors to show up. You wait for them to show up because dead bodies are all over the place, and they want to bury their dead men, their dead soldiers. And so when they show up, they, they start with the question, can we have our bodies back? To which you say, yes. If you agree, one, we won the battle, and two, we get what we fought the battle over. Maybe it's a gold mine. Maybe it's uh, a port. Maybe whatever it might be. Uh, 
and then you negotiate. You know, the soldiers fight the war, but the diplomats end the war. And, and for the most part, this is very efficient. Not a lot of people are dead. The battle, a war will last a day or a weekend. It's one battle of half an hour. It's a scary half an hour, but it's not the ceaseless, endless, day in, day out, seasonal campaigns of the Assyrians, of the Persians. Like Cyrus fought every year. Now, it turns out the Greeks will fight all the time. The Greeks fight all the time. Peace is not normal in Greece. War is. But war is this thing you do once in a while during the year. So you, you plant in the spring, you put your stuff in, the stuff is growing, and then you get your spear and you get your helmet. And you go, okay, who? It's not if, it's who. Who are we going to fight? Because as always, we have arguments with lots of people. So who are we fighting? We're poor people who need stuff. So who are we fighting? What's the result of this? The result is, for the first time, untrained footmen can stand, fight, and survive in battle. This is very different from Middle Eastern armies, where you use the chariot or cavalry. If you were a footman with a spear on a battlefield in Mesopotamia against chariots, you are in trouble. The Assyrians prove that. So, first is, suddenly, the phalanx allows men regular men without much training to survive a battle. Oh, whoa, this is new. The second thing is it invents citizenship. Why? Well, we can't pay these soldiers to be in the army, but they have to be in the army. And so what the Greeks figure out is citizenship. This mutual connection between the city and the people will give you rights in exchange for responsibilities and freedoms. Rights plus freedoms plus f rights plus responsibilities plus freedoms. What right are you going to get? The right to vote. If I'm going to be in the army, I want to have a say in how that army is used. I want to have a say in who we're fighting. Responsibility? Well, you got to be in the army. You want to vote? Fine. You got to be in the army. You got to serve. You got to pay your taxes. You got to follow the law. And the Greeks said, yeah, that makes sense. And freedoms, the invention of freedoms, the freedom of the body and freedom of speech. Why? One, the freedom of speech. You have to be able to say in public, I disagree with this. Otherwise, that, that right to vote don't matter. If you can't argue for and or against a policy, your right to vote is nullified. It doesn't matter. The second thing is your body. And this is why a citizen isn't a slave. I can go where I want. I can do what I want. I am a citizen. I am not a slave to the Persian king the Egyptian pharaoh, I am equal to all the other citizens.
There are rich guys. There are noblemen. But they don't have different rights than I do. We have the same rights. And you'll see why democracy will come out of this. Because you have the freedom of the body. It's yours. You can do with it what, I, what you want. And that's to signify you are not a slave. Slaves can't do what they want. Slaves are machines. Slaves are told what to do. A citizen does what a citizen wants to do. So what happens is you get the assembly. Well, if you're going to vote, we've got to get everybody together. Because it's not efficient to go from place, person to person to person individually. So we'll get you together. They'll, they'll use the theater because the theater is the largest place. It's like using a, a stadium today uh, to do this. You use the theater because the theater would sit two, three, four thousand people. And so the men would get together. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, the men get together and they vote. Now... The assembly is led by a leader, usually a nobleman, and usually a group of them, a council. The men will vote on things. The assembly votes on things the leader tells them to vote on. They have a say, but the assembly is still led by a, le by a leader. How that leader is chosen is usually uh, among the nobility. This will give way in some places like Athens to democracy, where the assembly runs itself. Where the assembly chooses its own leader. And if they don't like that leader, they vote to get rid of that leader and they put a new one in. That the assembly decides what it will discuss. That the assembly decides what it will vote on. That's a democracy. The leader isn't a leader anymore. The leader is a facilitator. The leader walks up and goes, okay, you guys wanted to talk about A and B and C today. So let's start with A. Whereas in the assembly, the leader was like, I want to talk about in a democracy, the group runs itself. So citizens get a say in how the laws will be made, in the policies of the state, in how the army will be used. So that brings us to women. How does that bring us to women? Women can't be citizens. They can't be in the army, so they get no rights. They get no freedoms because they don't have the responsibilities. Now you say, well, why can't women be in the army? Well, they can't carry the 50 to 60 pounds of armor. Plus a 20 pound shield. They can't fight in the phalanx. In fact, the scariest story that the Greeks have is the Amazons who are probably based on nomadic horse women of the Ukraine. But the idea is that these women are scary because one, they don't need men at all. Yeah. All right. They'll kidnap men and use them as sex slaves. Um, but they really don't need men Two, 
They are ferocious warriors, but they don't fight in a phalanx. They fight with bows. They are archers. And in fact, there are some stories in which the women, the Amazons, will cut off their right breast and go, ooh, why would they do such a thing? Well, if you're pulling your bow with your right hand, the breast gets in the way. And so it allows the women, the Amazons, to pull farther, harder, stronger for more killing power. It also is the idea that they are destroying their secondary sexual characteristic. They are becoming less feminine. That these are not ordinary women. These are women who are less feminine, more masculine, and are terrifyingly good with the bow. Wonder Woman good with the bow. And so... Um, that was a scariest story. You know, you would tell your kids, you better be good or an Amazon is going to come and kidnap you in the middle of the night. You know, because it was the lack of power that men would have, the lack of authority in a, in a matriarchal Amazonian society. They didn't need men. And they were, they were great warriors without them. But notice that they were archers. They are not hoplites. They are not phalanx people. So even the Greeks in their stories realized men and women are different. They, they, they would fight differently. Even in their fantasies, they're not the same. And so women in the Greek world don't get rights. They are t totally secondary, like children. Now, um, Spartan women are, are an exception, and they, everything I say in this class, you have to put an asterisk, and the Spartans are different. The Spartans are weird. Spartan women were much tougher and had much more rights. They could use weapons. They did not fight in a phalanx, but, in, but Spartan women actually maintained the masculinity for men. They defined the masculinity. Um, the most famous way is in dressing for battle. So you're putting on, if you're a Spartan man, you're putting on your gear. And you can't put it on by yourself. You need help. And so Spartan women, who are athletic and tough and strong, help them. And they buckle them in and put on the suit and, and put on the greaves. And finally, the helmet. And then the shield. The last thing is the shield. Now, remember, the shield is a 20-pound weight that doesn't protect you. It protects the man next to you. If you are defeated, if you run away, if you are a coward, the first thing you do is throw away your, your shield. Because it's useless. It won't help you. So you throw it away. So men who show up after a battle without a shield have run away. They're cowards. And so the Spartan women are helping their men, their husbands get dressed or their sons get dressed. And the last thing is the shield. And they give that shield to their husband or son. And they say, come back with this shield. 
or on it. Which means come back victorious or dead. And you go, oh my God, that's terrible. But it's not. It's don't come back a coward. You are a Spartan man. I did not marry a coward. I did not give birth to a coward. They def- women defined Spartan masculinity. In a way, it's not clear they do in any other of the Greek societies, but they clearly do in Spartan society. Coming back without your shield to your wife is a humiliating um, event. And that's why, for example, no Spartan general, and the generals would fight in the first rank, always in the first rank. In fact, the front right, the most exposed position, the one that had no protection. No Spartan general survived a defeat. They go down fighting in like for 700 years, something ridiculous. Leonidas is the most famous, but not the last or the first. Leonidas at Thermopylae is killed on the third day of the battle. And his men, those 300 men or whoever, however many were left by that point, are going to fight the rest of the day to make sure the Persians can't take that body. They're going to fight just to hold on to the body and then to protect it. Lest the Persians get the dead body of their king, of Leonidas, of their leader, and then desecrate it, you know, cut it into pieces, humiliate it. And that was more manly than running away and saving yourself. Okay, in our next lecture, we are going to do Greek warfare, the Persian Wars and the Peloponnesian Wars. Thank you.